Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. I want to um, kind of go in a direction based on a lot of what we have been learning because we've been growing. I mean, we've been having some miracle grow food. (laughs) The the Holy Spirit's been bringing food to grow by. And um, I want to continue along that line, but not necessarily the same thing. But we will uh, kind of uh, use some of the verses from the maturing of the believer in our launching out. Let's look at uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 14 through verses 16, I believe is where we may, may stop. But I do, I do want to stop here, start here in, um, oh, let's start in verse 11, 411. 411 of Ephesians says, And he, speaking of Jesus, he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. And as pastor has mentioned, this word means equipped or furnished. For the furnishing, the equipping of the saints. This word is a word that denotes maturity. It is when you see the Bible tell us to be perfect or as we're going to see in another area of this text that we become a perfect man. It's talking about complete in the process of growth, coming from that beginning stage through each stage of growth to an end to to that stage of maturity. And so he says the perfecting of the saints, the equipping, the furnishing, the maturing, the developing of the saints. Every believer is in a different stage of this process, but we are all, say that, we are all in this process. Amen? And our, our objective, our desire is to mature. Our desire is to grow and develop and be equipped in the spiritual equippings and furnishings that will cause us to be uh, in that position of maturity. So he says that these, in the fivefold ministry offices, and we know it's not just the people in those offices, but the equippings in those offices, the supernatural anointings and impartations and that gift to teach and, and that gift, that pastoring uh, ability to help uh, supply nutrition and that, that developing of disciples in the church. And so he says that these are for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. And we, want, we don't want immature people in the work of the ministry or the work of the ministry is not going to have the same effect. When we, like I said, we're all at different stages, so I'm not saying that a person right after they get saved is not qualified to step in to some area of ministry, but... A person who just gets saved, the Bible tells us that that person is not supposed to be placed right into a position of leadership. 
Number one, it's dangerous for them because the enemy will come in because of their lack of maturity and that tendency to pride and take that as a, a inroad to maybe lead them off into pride or, or wrong motives. And so the Bible says to lay hands suddenly on no man. And so that means that's talking about not to lay hands and put them in a position when they have not yet come into that growth and that maturity. So we want the work of the ministry to have the effectiveness. And part of what makes it effective is that people who are mature are in those those stable positions, in those positions that require that longevity and that flow of a spiritual, um, to that, that, that love that is a mature love and that peace and that patience and that ability to lead and to guide. And so we see that the maturing affects the work of the ministry and then, it, the, then the next stage in that process, it affects the edifying of the body of Christ. So the building up or the, the constructing or the fitting together or the framing, when you say edifying, uh, we're talking about a, a, a putting together, a strengthening, a, 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 a furnishing of the body. It, we need the maturity so that we can come to this place. And then it says, till we all come in the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So again, we see this word perfect in verse 13. Until we come. So we're all in process, but we all have the same objective. Till we come into this maturing, into this perfecting. And then Jesus is the standard for that. He's the one who sets the, the measure, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Praise God. That we henceforth be no more children. Oh my goodness, I prayed that for years. I was Lord, help me grow up. Help me, Lord, I don't want to be immature anymore. Because I would get things that would just confront me in the church and I would just act fleshly and I, then I'd have to go repent and then I'd have to go start over and then, you know, you got to prove yourself, not, not for the purpose of other people, but you got to walk out that repentance, right? And oh my goodness, Lord, help me grow up. I used to pray it. Uh, I, I still want that correction, but I've come a long way. So he says that you henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, you may grow up into him in all things. Again, growing up is the key. Growing up into Jesus, he is our objective. He's the one who has set the standard for us, our head, even Christ. Praise God. So 1 Peter verse, uh, chapter 2 and verse 2 also shows us this process of growth. And it encourages us to desire the sincere milk of the word. Desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. He says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And if you read in context, because this was not originally written with chapter and verse, 
This is a letter from Peter, and he, in the previous verses, has said, for instance, verse 22, seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto, or to the point that you've come to, a love that is not pretend or a love that is not a put-on, unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. And then 23, 24, and 25, he says, because you're born again. You're born again. You're born of the incorruptible word of God. You're not just a mere human being. You are a human being on the outside. You are, you are legally a human being, but you're more than just a human being. You're a child of God. You're born of God. You're alive unto God. You have the greater one living on the inside of you. So you're not limited to human responses. You're not limited to human behavior. You can have God's behavior. You're not limited to human character. You can have God's character because He has placed His life in you that will produce His love, His joy, His peace, His long-suffering, His meekness, His temperance, His faith. All of His character traits are available in your spirit so you can imitate God and you can act like God and you can love like God loves. But you have to yield to the life of God on the inside of you instead of yielding to the temptation to get the last word in. You have to yield to the life of God on the inside of you instead of yielding to the temptation to give that person a piece of your mind. It's a choice that you have the privilege of making and the more you choose the life of God, the more you will be strengthened and developed and matured because you're practicing choosing God's options. Amen? So he, verses 23, 24, and 25, he's bringing that supernatural born again to the forefront of the thinking So he says, you can love each other with a pure heart fervently because you are born again by the word of God. And then the very next verse, or very next chapter, is the continuation of this thought. He says, this is why, wherefore, this is why you should lay aside malice, guile, hypocrisies, envies, and all evil speakings, and as a newborn babe, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So do you see he's talking about walking in the spirit? Not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. And he's telling us how to do it. Feed on the word. Feed on the word as you grow. But also you've got to recognize that the wrong behaviors that are listed here are, are tendencies of the flesh. That's how the flesh would like to respond if you just leave it to its own, if you just let it have its, its uh, option. We don't want it to ever be our option. Just take it as this is not a multiple choice. I only have one answer, and that's God's option, right? Amen. Just take everything else off the table. Nope, that's not an option. Walking in the, in the flesh is not an option for me because I, I just don't want it. There's nothing about me that wants it. So... This is part of maturity. And then again in Hebrews chapter 5, we see uh, a a contrast between being a babe on milk, a newborn babe in Christ on milk, to someone that is capable of solid food. 
capable of eating solid food. And so he says here in, I want to start in 10 because uh, there's a point here that's important. He says, called of God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. We know he's speaking of Jesus who is called of God as a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Of whom we have many things to say. I want to know more about Jesus being called of God after the order of Melchizedek. But we don't get to hear it in this verse because they weren't capable of hearing it because of their immaturity. We don't get to see, I, I believe we see other, other places. I see when Revelations, for me, when it says that we, uh, He has washed us in His own blood and made us kings and priests unto God, that is part of the revelation of Jesus being called a high priest after the order of Melchizedek because Melchizedek was a king priest. The only one, Levitical priests were not of that same uh, pattern but Melchizedek was the only priest that was a king, king of Salem, and a high priest of God. And Jesus was called after that pattern. Amen? But God swore Jesus into that position with an oath, the only high priest ever sworn in by an oath, and said, you are a high priest forever, after the pattern of a king priest. Amen? But they, in this Utterance, they couldn't hear it. He said, we have many things to say, but the many things we say are hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing, for, which means because, why were they dull of hearing? Because when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, what be the first principles of the oracles of God, and you are become such. That means they weren't, but they became something that they weren't. They, they came into being. So they, they had been listening to the Word. They had been hearing the Word, but they hadn't been applying it to the point that they could work it for you to be a teacher of something, you have to be so aware of it, how it works. You have, to be, you have to be familiar enough with that subject to be able to break it down and explain it in a practical way so that others can put it to work in their life. And he said they had reached a point that they should have been so familiar, so so. Um, skilled in the word, so proficient in the word that they could have helped other people learn it. But they became such as need milk and not strong meat. Now, if you compare this to what we looked at previously from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we saw some indications. It said that they were not able to hear. They were not able to hear. And he said, I can't speak to you as unto spiritual Verse 1, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. So he said carnal and a baby in Christ is the same. Do you see that verse said, I speak to you as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. He is, he is restating what carnal is. He, is just, he has just defined carnal. Carnal means immature in Christ, a baby in Christ. 
So a baby in Christ, that doesn't mean they're a sinner and that doesn't mean they're a bad person. I would not get angry. I just, I have a new granddaughter who was born yesterday. She desires milk. That's all she cares about right now. Milk and sleep. But I would not be angry at her for her level of development. Liliana's four. I'm not angry at her that she's not able to drive herself to school yet. She's, I, I'm, I'm helping her develop. That doesn't mean a, a, a carnal Christian is a bad person or even a failure as a Christian. It means they need to grow. Amen? And we've all been there. So we need to be merciful. Say that out loud. I need to be merciful. Because I want people to be merciful with me. I don't want people to judge me for the areas I need to grow in. Right? So I'm not going to judge anybody else for the areas they need to grow in. I'm going to help them. I'm going to walk in love. I'm going to recognize, okay, maybe they need some space. Maybe they need some prayer. I'm just going to walk in love. I'm not going to get offended. Right? But we also see that there were things that they couldn't hear at that level. So he said, I couldn't speak to you as unto spiritual but as unto carnal. And then he identified some symptoms. He said because there's envy, there's jealousy, there's division. When it uses the word uh, uh, wranglings in the amplified divisions, strife, strife. Well, we know envy and strife are both actually divisions is too. It's not used in that word. In Galatians 5, in the work of the flesh... It's, I think it may use the word factions or sects, that S-E-C-T-S, that means divisions. People wanting to separate and say, well, I'm of Paul and you're of Apollos and we can't get along because you follow Apollos' teaching and I follow Paul's teaching. And he said there were divisions. They wanted to separate themselves and say, we're better than you are and you're better, you know, you're not as good as us. And so he would, those divisions, that envying and that strife, He said they were evidences of carnality. Why? Because that's some of the things listed in the works of the flesh. So he said, you walk as men. The Amplified says mere unchanged men. In other words, you're not walking out of your spirit with the character of God ability that is in your heart so that you can walk in love, joy, peace, long-suffering, these character traits that God has placed in your spirit that will cause you to walk higher. Walking in the fruit of the spirit is a highway. Remember God said in Isaiah 55, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Those are some of the highways. Some people use this phrase. They say, well, I'm just going to take the low road. And what we mean by that is I'm going to take the humble way or I'm going to take the love walk. I'm just going to walk in love. I'm going to take the low road. But when I take the low road, God calls it a highway because it's his way. It's higher. And so Jesus said, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Bless those who curse you. Do good unto those who despitefully use you. Praise God. Why? Because that's a highway. 
That's a higher way. God is good to people who despitefully use him. God is good. He, he reigns on the just and the unjust. He's good. His goodness is available. That doesn't mean he condones their, their sins, but he makes salvation available if they would choose it. Amen? So what we're seeing here is this maturity, and we're seeing that maturity is, uh, is an objective that we need to give ourselves to. That it needs to be important to us because it's important to God. And he says, going on in Hebrews chapter 5, I want to go back to it. He said in verse, uh, continuing in verse 12, he said, you have, you have become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. Verse 13, for everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. Unskillful. Uh, the center column reference of my Bible says, has no experience in the word of righteousness. Has no experience in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age. And my center column uses the word perfect there. Those who are mature. Strong meat belongs to those who are mature, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So you could say, by practice, by practice they've learned to choose God's option. By practice they've said, I'm not going to go the way of the flesh. I'm going to go the way of the Spirit. I'm going to go the way of the Word. I'm going to go the way that God has placed within me. And I'm going to, out of my spirit, respond to this. I'm going to think about this from a spiritual viewpoint and I'm not going to let my flesh get any, any foothold in this situation by allowing it to behave in a certain way. Amen? So this is maturity and we're all in that process. And if we, we want to see the, the mark of maturity, we can look at the love walk. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, you may have seen that uh, Sister Pat Harrison was recently in the Little Rock campus and I, I was talking to her about the love of God and, and growing in the love of God and being perfected in the love of God and she was sharing with me that when God began to deal with her that she said for, uh, for months and months she came to this verse and it wasn't just something she read occasionally, but she said every day for months and months, it, she said, I would speak this word out and put my name in it. And so I want to read 1 Corinthians 13, and we'll begin in verse 4. It says, charity or love suffers long and is kind. Love envies not. Did we see envy in our Reference there from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, right? Envy being a work of the flesh. So it says, love envies not. Love vaunteth not itself. It is not puffed up. Love does not behave itself unseemly. Love does not seek her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinks no evil. Rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, 
endures all things. Love never fails. Praise God. So this love is not emotional. This is not emotions. This is God's love that has been poured out in our heart, Romans 5, 5, by the Holy Spirit. We have access at any point, at any time. You always have access to the love of God because the Holy Spirit has shed abroad the love of God in your heart. So you never have to say, I just can't walk in love right now. You may feel like you can't walk in love. But if you'll respond to the word and say, the love of God is available, I'm going to walk in it. Amen. Amen? You can always choose to respond out of that love that is poured into your heart. And so we see here that love has behavior. Love is described. Love is, is identified as these these. Uh, behaviors, love suffers long, love is kind, love does not envy. All of these things talk about how we behave, how we respond in situations. And so we could recognize this is part of our maturity. This is part of what we need to practice because God is love. He doesn't just have love. He is love and we are to imitate him. We are to walk as he walks. We are to respond as he would respond. And so we all have a a, um, requirement, if you will. We all have this set forth as a standard for us to grow in this love in our heart. And it's not automatic. And there's no easy drive-through microwave way to make it happen either. I mean, it's just every day having to get up and choose to walk in love, to choose to know what love, how love behaves, And then when you recognize the way I just acted was not in line with 1 Corinthians 13, so I'm going to repent, and I'm going to repent to the person I acted that way to, and I'm going to behave in line with 1 Corinthians 13. There's just that. It's easy if you'll do it. But there's no easy way to make it happen without the doing of it. Right? It's just you've got to do it. Just got to do it, do it. <laughs> Parents of toddlers appreciate that. Amen. Or children of any age who've watched that movie. So, in verse 5 is what I really want to look at tonight. And as I said, I wanted to kind of go in a little bit of a different direction. Verse 5, again, does not, love does not behave itself unseemly. Love seeketh not her own. Love is not easily provoked and thinketh no evil. Thinketh no evil. I want to I look at that phrase for a few minutes tonight. Love doesn't think evil. Love thinketh no evil. If you look at the Amplified, it, it gives the idea love doesn't take into account any suffered wrong. It does not uh, insist on its own way. It is not self-seeking. It is not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. Hallelujah. Love thinks differently than the flesh thinks. 
when we talk about renewing the mind, a lot of times we, we leave that general context of renewing the mind uh, of, you know, because we have to renew our mind in all of these different areas. We have to renew our mind about finances. We have to renew our mind about uh, 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 the curse and renew our mind about being governed by the blessing and renew our mind. But love is also an area that our mind has to be renewed. If, if the love command is the command that we are all obligated to. Love is the fulfilling of the law. Does the Bible tell us that? Yes. Does the Bible refer to it as the royal law? Yes. Does the Bible say, Jesus said, uh, the, on these two hang all the commandments. Yes. That you love God with all of your heart all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang all the commandments. If, if, we, if this is what we are obligated to, and because God is love, this is not a temporary, a temporary law in place. It's not temporary. Well, i got to walk in love with you today, but one day I'll be free from this walk. <laughs> No, no, no. I, I, I tell you, we're going to be governed by love for eternity. So we might as well get good at this. We might as well become proficient in the love walk because this is, our, this is what we'll, we're going to be in, in, um, walking in line with. This is what we're going to be governed by. This is what is the jurisdiction. Love is the jurisdiction of the kingdom. Praise God. So we've got that, that's what we have to answer to with our behavior. If we get out of love, if we step out of love, especially the emphasis in the New Testament is how we love each other in Christianity, our fellow believers, because we're one body. We're the blood-bought. We're the redeemed. And if I can't walk in love with you, I've got to spend my eternity with you. Right? God has that emphasis. Why? Because you're blood-bought just like I am. You're His child just like I am. So the emphasis is even more so on how we walk in love with the other people who are washed in the same blood we're washed in, who are purchased and alive by the same life and sacrifice that we're alive by. So when He says here that love thinks no evil... Jeremiah 29, 11, God sets a standard for us. He says, and this is a familiar verse, but go ahead and turn to it and put your eyes on it. I know we, people quote this one a lot, and, and it's a, a, a powerful verse to reveal the love of God to us. This is God speaking in 29, 11. He said, I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil. God doesn't think evil. He doesn't think evil about you. Love thinketh no evil. He said, the thoughts I think toward you, they are thoughts of wholeness. They are thoughts of good. They are thoughts of peace. That peace is that shalom, nothing missing, nothing broken. I'm thinking about how I can make your life whole. I'm thinking about how I can make your life good. My thoughts towards you are, are thoughts of good to give you an expected end. Not evil. Not evil thoughts because love doesn't think evil. God doesn't think evil. So now we see that God has set the standard. 
And we should renew our mind. Because a lot of people think God's out to, that God's critical of them. Oh, God's upset with me today. <laughs> and they have this subconscious idea that God is against them. But he said, I know the thoughts I think towards you. So God sets the standard. This word thoughts here means that which anyone meditates, purposes, or plots. That which anyone meditates, purposes, or plots. I know what I meditate about you, what I purpose about you, what I'm plotting about you. Thoughts of peace and not evil. The word think here means, means the mental effort to think, but it means more than that. I want you to hear this definition from the Strong's Concordance. Are you ready for this? Regard, esteem, or value. The word think means regard, esteem, or value. It re it's referring to the mental effort to think, but it also includes regard, I know the thoughts that I regard toward you. I know the thoughts that I esteem toward you. I know the thoughts of value toward you. So those thoughts are, are thoughts that determine value. Thoughts that esteem. If we were to say, I esteem that person valuable in my life. I esteem my husband. I, I'm, I'm acknowledging my estimation of him. I esteem him highly. I think a lot of him. I have much respect for him. That estimation is something that places him in honor in my life, of value in my life, regard. So he says, I don't think evil... He tells us love thinks no evil. And this think is also regarding, esteeming, and valuing. Now, the, I'll, I'll tell you what has brought me to this. And it's something that I recognized probably 18 years ago. And I've, I've shared this before in different scenarios talking about uh, um, how pastor and I experienced difficulty in the early part of our marriage. But I began to recognize that we would disagree about something and then he would go to work and I would be all day long thinking about that disagreement. And it wasn't just thinking about what we were arguing about. It, it was fuming at him. And it would be like generating. The more, I can, the more I thought about it, the more angry I was. The more I thought about it, the more, in, the more it, 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 it fueled something. And one day the Lord said to me, he said, you are thinking covenant-breaking thoughts. And right then I realized, I'm not just coming up with all these on my own. The enemy is helping. He's, he's offering me some thoughts to think. And instead of me casting them down and taking them captive, 
I was so already open with my anger and my offense that I was, oh yeah. And, and that's why, that's why we would have an argument and I would rehearse it all day long and, by the t- and think about what I should have said. I should have said that. You know, I wasn't coming up with all that on my own. The enemy was saying, yeah, you should have told him this. Yes, I should have. That would have been a good one. That's what I should have said. That's how I should have responded. And by the time I got home, I was, I was ready to pick up where we had left off. And he had just gone on with his life and didn't even think that we were still in the argument. He was ready to come home and, and play with the kids and have dinner and, you know, kick back and have some iced tea in the recliner. And I'm, 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 I'm loaded for bear. Like, I'm not done. You come back here and let's pick up where we left off this morning because I've been thinking about this all day long. And I've got all the things I should have said to you this morning already ready to just pick up and, and fight some more. But when the Lord said that to me, when he said, you are allowing the enemy to offer you covenant-breaking thoughts, I wasn't resisting them. I wasn't trying in any way to cast them down. I was allowing them. It was like there was no fence around my mind. That my mind was open for him just to reach across, reach over there and just hand me the wrong thought and I would pick it up and go with it. Well, as I recognized that and I began from that moment on, I did what 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 3 through 5 says. It says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, taking every thought captive, every imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and taking into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. I began to recognize when those thoughts came and I would cast them down. And I would open my mouth and say, I love my husband. I honor my husband. He loves me like Christ loves the church. I respect him as unto the Lord. And and I had to take the word of God and cast those thoughts down. And when I cast the thoughts down, he was a, I liked him so much more. <laughs> I remembered why I married him. Hey! I'm like, the the whole atmosphere of the home changed. Why? Because I wasn't fueling myself with covenant-breaking thoughts. But, you know, as I recognized it in that area of my life, as I began to grow in other areas, I saw how the enemy wanted to bring thoughts about spiritually leaders in my life. People, other, other believers in my life. How, how that the enemy wanted to... Because those are covenants too. Those are covenants too. And the sad thing is, a lot of people don't recognize that those thoughts are not just originating. They, they didn't have those thoughts necessarily on their own. They may have had an area of offense or something that kind of, of, of maybe hurt their feelings or made them uh, feel insecure about something, but then that thought came on top of that. And the enemy used that to bring other, other thoughts. Well, they just this and you just this and you just need to separate. You can just go on. You don't need that church. You don't need that pastor. You don't. And they separate themselves because of those non-covenant, those covenant-breaking thoughts that have come into their life and they didn't know that I should cast that down. They didn't know if I allow that thought, I am violating 1 Corinthians 13, 5. 
I am thinking evil against someone that God has brought into my life. I'm thinking evil of someone that God has put in a position as my pastor or as a, a friend in the Lord to me, if it's you know, somebody in, in, in your life. You know, different relationships is what I'm saying. If I, if I allow the covenant-breaking thoughts, I'm the one violating the love command and nobody knows it. And people can say, why did they leave? What happened to them? Why, why did you quit calling me? Why aren't we friends anymore? And they don't know that it was all something that happened with a thought that ended up with a behavior that broke the covenant. So love thinketh no evil. Love does not think evil. I want to show you some examples of wrong thoughts towards others. Proverbs 23, 6. Now remember, think means to regard, esteem, or value. I've heard somebody say this. I'm not sure where the quote may have come from. Uh, But it was uh, something to the effect of... um, what you don't celebrate will exit your life. Have you ever heard anything like that? If, but here's, here's how I want to bring it to you. If I don't hold the right estimation, then for, for the people that God has brought into my life, if I don't guard that in my thought life, then I can be cut off from what they're supposed to deliver into my life, from what they're supposed to be in, in my life whether it be encouragement, whether it be a spiritual leader, if I don't guard the thoughts against them and make sure I'm thinking love thoughts, that I'm guarding, them, that my thoughts are going through a filter, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, and I'm thinking the best, and I am believing all things and, 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 and behaving my thoughts, making my thoughts behave in line with that. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 6 says this, Hallelujah. Eat not the bread of him that hath an evil eye, neither desire thou his dainty meats. Can you show me the amplified? I want to use this evil eye phrase. A hard, grudging, and envious eye. So we're not talking just about the way somebody looks at somebody, but we're talking about what they're thinking about that's causing them to look that way. What? He said, eat not the bread of him who has a hard, grudging, and envious eye. Someone who looks and is always saying, yeah, I, I wish I drove a car like that. Yeah, I wish, I wish I had a husband like that. I wish my wife looked like that. I wish, and, and always looking through that. Why? Because those thought patterns, those thought patterns are violating the love command. That envy in the thoughts that envy in the thoughts is a violation of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's look at another one, verse 7. Verse 7 says, uh, same chapter. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with you. In other words, he's saying something, but what he's really thinking 
is not what he's saying. It's deception. And so as he thinks in his heart, that's how he really is. Do you see why we've got to bring our thoughts in line with the word? We've got to make our thoughts be governed by the same thing that our actions are governed by because your thoughts, if you think it, think CB. Remember, Pastor preached that a long time. If you think it, you're going to start perceiving it and then you're start going to act in line with that. And if you think, listen, a lot of times it starts by a, a, um, a hurt from your past. It starts because you have made, you are hurt and you say, I'm not going to let anybody hurt me anymore. And you put up these defenses and you put up these walls. And so when somebody gives some kind of an indication of something that might hurt you, then, then you start automatically putting up that defense. And that defense is usually, I'm not going to let them talk to me that way. And, and that, that, that self-protective... But here's the problem with that self. That's the problem with that. Self. If it's selfish, it's not love. So self-protection is selfish. God protects me. If I'm walking in love, I'm kept. If I'm walking in love, I'm protected. If, I, if, I, if the love of God is how I'm living, then, then even if somebody does me wrong, it's not going to tear me up. It's not going to destroy my life. Because if I stay in love, He will keep me. He will guard me and He'll help me through it. But if I step out of love, then all I have to defend myself is self. Do you see what I'm saying? So this this in the heart. Matthew 5. Let's look at verse 28. Matthew 5 and 28. Matthew 5 and 28 shows us from Jesus' teaching that if it's in my heart, it's counted as if I've done it. He said in verse 28, Whosoever looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. Just by thinking it. He's held accountable as if he has done it. Just by thinking it, he's held accountable. It's it's already at the same level of error, the same level of violation as if he had done it. Well, I didn't do anything. In your thoughts, it it happened in the thoughts, and God knows the... Does the Bible say, Hebrews chapter 4, that the Word of God is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart? So if I've thought it, then I am already in a need that I need to answer to God for that. I already need to repent. So if, I've, if, I'm, if I'm thinking unforgiveness, I, nobody could know it. I could just go, I could smile. Do the princess wave. I could have all of the same outward appearance that nothing has changed, but if in my heart I'm holding unforgiveness, then I've got to answer to God for that. Do you see that? that that's in my heart because I've thought it. 
I've allowed, because if you're thinking on it, it's going to get that. You meditate on the word, why? To get it in your heart. So if you're meditating on unforgiveness, guess where it's going to go? It's going to get in the heart. If you're meditating on, on um, criticism, criticism is a, a major offense to God in the body. We cannot be critical thinkers. I'm talking about critical of each other thinking. Because I'm not qualified to be your judge. I'm not qualified to tell you how you should have, have raised your children or done this or done that or whatever. Why? Because I wasn't in your shoes. I wasn't walking in your footsteps. And that's not my place. And so he says, if it's in the heart, it, it, will, it, it needs to be considered... God considers as it's already a violation because I've thought it. So that's, we've got to hold thoughts to a love, a love standard. Because my thoughts are going to lead to a, a, a action in my heart. Praise God. How we, now remember the word think, the thoughts I think towards you. It means the mental effort to think, regard, esteem, or value. How we esteem and regard and think about others affects how we receive from them. Mark chapter 6. Jesus had been in the previous chapter, and we know this is not written in chapter, so it was telling us what happened just before what we consider to be Mark chapter 6, he had set the man who was named Legion free, the woman who had the issue of blood got free, Jairus' daughter got raised from the dead. I would say Jesus is operating at, at some heavy, heavy anointing, right? But Mark chapter 6, verse 1, he went out from there and came into his own country and his disciples follow him and when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished. Now, before you think astonished was they were impressed. They weren't impressed. They were offended. They, it says, from whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this uh, which is given unto him that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Isn't this... The carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. And Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. And he could there, he could there, there do no Mighty work. Save he laid his hands on a few sick folk and healed. And he marveled because of their unbelief. What caused their unbelief? The thoughts they were thinking about him. They were offended at him. Who does he think he is? Raised a girl from the dead. I don't think so. I think he built my kitchen table. 
Isn't he the man that, that, that was sent out to fix my barn last year? Healed. Healed a woman with a, with a flow of blood. I don't think so. Who is he? Wait a minute. I know your sister. I know your brother. Do you see those thoughts? What did the, how did they regard him? How did they value him? How were they esteeming him? They were bringing down their estimation of him. They were, they were bringing it down from the anointed one and his anointing. Is that what Jesus preached? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And those who believed that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, they received. How they received him, how they esteemed him, how they regarded him affected what they could receive. If God has placed my pastor in my life to be a spiritual supply, and he has said there are some things that I'm only going to speak to you through your pastor, that if you're not sitting in the place to hear from your pastor, you're not going to hear them. If I consider, if I take down my estimation and I, pull, I, I try to pull him down, and say, well, this, and well, that, and, and, and pull down to a natural level. I'm not, I'm not pulling the man down. I'm pulling the gift down. Do you see that? And in doing so, cutting myself off. If I, it, I'm going to pull it back to my marriage. If I look at my husband and I look and just allow those thoughts to bring down and, and, and look at his, his humanity and look at that natural part and fixate on what I think he needs to do better and what, how I think he's missed it or this, that, or the other, what am I going to do? I'm going to cut myself off from the supply that he's supposed to bring into my life as my husband. Not just the person, the man, but the gift that is in this relationship. We've got to guard our hearts, especially where covenant relationships in the body of Christ, in our marriage, that's a covenant relationship, in our leadership, because there's something that God's trying to get to us that He needs to bring it through people. But if we cut ourselves off from the people that God wants to bring it through, we're going to be the ones suffering. We're going to be the ones lacking. And God says, well, I put it in your husband, but you keep regarding him down. You keep lowering your estimation. I put it in your wife. You know, wives are a supply of wisdom. And when that husband cuts himself off from the wisdom of his wife and say, oh, she's just hysterical. She's just, I tell you what, she's emotional and she just this and she, and just, and looks at and, and pulls down that estimation. They're cutting themselves off from the supply that she can bring. So, so there are spiritual supplies that God has placed in relationships and we've got to bring a covenant, a, a love governed attitude towards those relationships. So Jesus was not able to do any mighty work and it wasn't because he ran out of power by raising Jairus' daughter. I mean, the, when that, you know, he came in there supercharged because as that power is flowing, it's not diminishing. It's not diminishing from the time that he freed Legion to the time that he uh, ministered to that 
uh, that, that woman with the issue of blood grabbed a hold of his garment and got the power flow into her life and then raised Jairus' daughter. I mean, it's at max level and he walks in and nobody can get it. He, he's walking, and you know, if you want to minister to people, you want to minister to those people. He, he loved those people. He grew up with those people. He wanted them to get that same flow of God's goodness. But he could there do no mighty work. He could there do no mighty work. And it wasn't because he didn't want to or wasn't capable in himself. It was because they wouldn't receive it because they regarded him and esteemed him lightly. When, um, <clears throat> when we look at John the Baptist, let's go to John chapter 1. We see that John the Baptist received supernatural revelation from God about who the Messiah would be. Verse 29 of John chapter 1, The next day John saw Jesus coming unto him and said, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bore record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him, and I knew him not. But he that sent me to baptize with water, God the Father, he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said to me, upon whom you will see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. He has revelation knowledge. And he is regarding Jesus. He said, he said, I am not worthy to baptize you. Does he have the right estimation? He said, I'm not worthy to baptize you. I'm not worthy to latch your sandal latches. But Jesus said it must needs be. So he had the right estimation. He had the right regard for him. But in Matthew chapter 11, we see a very sad scenario. Matthew 11 verse 2. Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto them... Are you he that should come? Or do we look for another? He said, I bear record. I stand in public testimony that I saw the Spirit of God descending upon him. He is the one. And now he has totally lost that revelation. Totally lost what he saw and what he knew. Why? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. What things? The blind receive their sight. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. Sight to the blind, right? The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, 
The poor have the gospel preached to them. Give them the evidence of the Christ. Give them the evidence of the anointing. That we have evidence of the anointing in operation. And then tell him this. Blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Now we know what caused him to lose the light he had. The knowledge, the revelation. He allowed the wrong thoughts. Jesus said, you're offended in me. You're offended in me. You're offended in me. And because of that offense, it changed his regard. Now he doesn't see him as the Christ. Are you the Christ? Or do we look for another? How how did he get to that point? One thought after another. There are no unimportant thoughts. Thoughts are containers. And they either contain God's thoughts or they contain thoughts that the enemy would like to plant as seeds into the thinking. Eve accepted, did God say? And with that, it opened the door for the next thought. And the next thought opened the door for the next thought until her behavior was totally out of line with what God had said. But it started with thoughts, right? So when we're recognizing how our thoughts are to be governed by the light of God, we've got to um, guard our thinking. Luke, or let's go to Matthew 10. Matthew 10. So we've seen how the wrong thoughts about Jesus cut people off from receiving from him in his own hometown. They weren't able to receive the same healing, miracle, power that was operative in the previous city because of the way they thought about him. Praise God. And then we see that uh, there was revelation knowledge that was lost because of wrong thoughts. Things that he once walked in, the, the, uh, John the Baptist, he wasn't walking in them anymore because he allowed the wrong thoughts to be planted in his mind. And that those thoughts caused him to be offended. So in Matthew 10, verse 41, Jesus said this. Actually, we'll begin in 40. He that receives you receives me. The word receives means to welcome or accept. He that receives you receives me, and he that receives me receives him that sent me. So this receiving has to do with the way I think. This receiving has to do with the way I regard and esteem and value someone. And Jesus said, if I receive the one he sent to me, I'm really receiving him. If I receive the one he placed in my life, I'm receiving Jesus. Amen? And in receiving Jesus, I'm receiving the Father. He that receives a prophet in the name of a prophet. What does that phrase mean, in the name of a prophet? He that receives a prophet in the name of a prophet. If I receive that prophet 
and value the office of the prophet and value that person as standing, not as a person. I don't, I don't look at them and call them by their first name. I'm recognizing they're not just that natural person, but they're a natural person who's been placed in an office. And so I receive from the office. He that receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. There's a reward with the way I receive. Hallelujah. And then he said, He that receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. There's still a reward with the way, the way that I receive, but it's a different reward based on whom I'm receiving and how I'm receiving that person. And whoever shall drink, give to, uh, to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. So we see prophet... Righteous man, disciple. The ways of receiving. How I'm receiving that person. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How I welcome them. How I accept them into my life. I'm going to receive. Now, this isn't about this, but we're going to use it as an example. I would, I, I would never go to my pastor and call him by his first name. I'm not even going to do it in my example. I just can't. I was going to try, but it just can't happen. I just can't call him by his first name because that's not who he is to me. To other people, that's who he is. The relationship that they have. You know, uh, Sister Annette was here this morning. Her father was very close with my pastor. They went fishing together. He would call him by his first name. I wouldn't call him by his first name because he's not that to me. To me, I don't want him to be that to me. I don't want him to be on first name basis with me. I want to always hold him in that honor because I want to respect the gift of God that he is in my life. Amen? The way I accept him the way I regard him, the way I esteem him, the way I receive him is how my reward is determined. Pastor always says it this way. Pastor Steele says, if you call me Philip, you'll get what Philip can give you. But if you call me pastor, I can dip into my pastor supply and, and offer you what my pastor resources have for you, which are much more because... We're not just in your life at, to, to be your friend. But we love you as family. You are, we, we want to be close to you. But we, we want to be close in a way that we can deliver from God what you need in your life. And so this, this right covenant thinking, this governed by love in my thinking, not allowing myself to be offended. I've had opportunities to, to be offended at my pastor, but I just refused it. I, I don't care. If, if, he, if he chewed me out in front of everybody, I'd take it and say, sir, yes, sir, thank you, I'll do better next time. Because I, 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 I need who God has made him to be in my life. So being offended is just not worth it. <laughs> Amen? And so 
the receiving affects the way that I, he can minister. So I want to compare this with Luke 24, okay? Luke 4:24. Luke 4:24. Luke 4, let's look at verse 24, and I'll read down. He said, and this is the same response that he gave in this other, in his hometown. He said, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted. Accepted. No prophet is accepted. The Vines, the Vines uh, Dictionary of New Testament Words says, a person or thing who has been regarded favorably. So this is talking about the regard and the estimation again. No prophet is regarded favorably, esteemed highly in his own country. You know, he's not saying this because it's, 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 a, it's a hard rule. Like, you know, okay, thus saith the Lord, it shall, it shall come to pass that no prophet shall be be honored in his own country. And because I've said it, that's the way it's going to be no matter what. No, he's saying because of people tending to be familiar and wanting to look at that person after a human standard, they, that's why. It's not because it's, it's the plan of God or a statute that God said no prophet will be honored. He, he's saying because people have a tendency to want to look at them from a natural perspective. Brother Charles Cap said, you know, he taught Sunday school at his church. He taught the, the uh, elementary boys Sunday school at his church. And he said one day one of the boys was out at the airport and that little, you know, regional airport there, and he had his own plane. Uh, the, he did dusting even. He, he flew even before he was a preacher, uh, crop dusting and different things. But uh, So the little boy saw him get off the plane, and he goes... <gasps> I didn't think preachers could fly because it, it just kind of shocked him, you know, because he had a regard and an estimation and he didn't put him in a natural category. You know, he couldn't imagine Brother Charles on his tractor. He couldn't imagine him because he, he saw him as the one who brought the word to me. Amen? And so Jesus is saying because of that Tendency, that natural human tendency to try to bring people down to a natural level and say, well, they're, they're just human just like me. Well, they are human just like you. We are all human. But Jesus was anointed of God and he's anointed my pastor and I'm anointed. Amen. And, and so if we just value each other after a human standard, we're never going to get what God wanted us to get from each other. None of us. If we just looked at each other after a human standard and just... just but no, if we put on the, the love standard in the way that we think of each other and we regard each other, then even... None of us have to be perfect to, for us to be able to, to uh, give what God has placed as an impartation in our life. Amen? So in, in this example here, he says, no prophet is accepted in his own country, regarded favorably in his own country. But I tell you of a truth, many widows 
were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months when great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elijah sent, save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. What is he referring to here? What is he referring to? He's saying the people in his own country, he wasn't sent to them. What did he do where he went? What did he do in, for that widow? Gifts, a, a working of miracles? A working of miracles, gift of faith? Right? But he couldn't do it in the places that didn't regard him. God only sent him to the one who would receive and accept, regard favorably. Hallelujah. And in that place, he was able to bring supernatural gift of faith that caused her mill barrel, mill barrel to never run dry. Her cruise of oil never ran dry. Never ran out. Why? Because the working of miracles, the gift of faith. Because she accepted him as a prophet. She accepted that supernatural, but anybody else just looked at him as a man. Then he uses this example. He said, many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elias the prophet, and none of them were cleansed, save Naaman the Syrian. What's he talking about? The way people accept the gift of God. The way people accept the anointing on this person, the office that they were standing in. He said there, this gift of healing didn't operate. There were many lepers in Israel, but they just looked at him as, yeah, that man of God, that man. They didn't look at him with regard. They didn't look at him with high esteem, and therefore God did not send him with any gifts of healings operating in that area. But why did Naaman come? Naaman come because somebody told him, there's the prophet in Israel who can help you get healed. Yeah, he got offended because he thought he should have given him a different instruction, but he still came because he regarded this man as having something from God. He esteemed him as being in a position that God had placed him in with a power and an ability that God had given him. Now we're using these examples, but let's bring it back to thinketh no evil. Thinketh no evil. And, and not just from the, the position with your pastor or the position with spiritual leaders in your life, but I want you to see the gift that your, your sister in Christ is, your brother in Christ. If we redeem, if we regard each other and esteem each other correctly, we're going to be able to access from each other so much more and give to each other so much more. Jesus had so much to give, but they didn't regard him. But if we will come to church and say, I have something for Michelle. I love her. And I want to minister to her. Encouragement. A smile. How you doing? I was praying for you this week, Nancy. Julie, I had you on my mind. Being able to regard each other and say, these relationships are God-ordained. We have been 
joined together in this family by God. Because there's something you have that's going to benefit my life and something I have that's going to benefit your life. Not from me as your pastor. I'm talking about all of us as fellow believers. Being able to come in and regard my brother and sister in Christ. Not just as somebody I attend church with, but as somebody I worship. We get to be in the presence of God together. Wow. Wow. We get to grow together. We get to watch each other's children grow up and become mature adults with real jobs and, 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 wow. And we get to spend eternity together. Amen? How we regard each other. How we esteem each other. We need each other. From that spiritual perspective. Amen? Praise God. Father... We desire to have your love standard renew our thinking. Would you just commit tonight that your thoughts would not violate the love command? And if they do, you would be quick to Bring that to the Lord and repent before Him. This is an area that will help us grow on a fast track because it's such a major area, but if we'll deal with it, it becomes such a great, mature area. Say this with me. Father, I ask You to help me grow in this area. I want my thoughts to line up with your word. I want my thoughts to be in line with 1 Corinthians 13. I will not think evil, especially about my fellow Christian, my brother and sister in Christ. I ask you, Bring to my attention every thought that the enemy presents and I will cast it down and take it captive in Jesus' name. Praise God. Praise God. I I will tell you, this transformed my marriage, but when I began to apply it in the other relationships, covenant relationships in my life, it protected me. It protected me. And because of that right estimation, God has been able to trust me in serving my pastor and trust me in in areas of, of responsibility that I would not have been trustworthy with if my thoughts were not governed. Amen? And so if we will be uh, love-governed people, as even in our thought life, God will be able to... Uh, uh, trust us with relationships that are, oh, what's the word? High security? If, if you've got something that's like a high security level, help me. 
Clarence, yeah, if you've, if, if you, if you've got somebody that, for, uh, what is it if it's high security? You, you, you get to that level of responsibility. Not everybody has access to those people. That clearance? What was the other one? Maximum security. I think y'all all know what I'm trying to say. We're just none of us finding the right word that kind of is in my mind. It, for for that, that level of, of access, that level of, of, of relationships, God needs us to be people who are trustworthy in those places. Amen? Amen? And, and I'll tell you, we have... We have in our church family a, a respect and honor for the word, for the presence of God that not everybody has. Not everybody has. And, and if someone were to, were to judge us by our numbers, they would be missing how God judges us. God is using us to do things not based on our numbers. A lot of people look at a church with a lot of numbers and they think that church is more successful. But that's not true. They, they may be successful in gathering groups of people or large numbers or masses of people. But you know, a rock concert can get a lot of people. But they're not bringing those people into the same thing that we're coming into. The fact that God is able to bring people into this place. And when Sister Annette ministered this morning, and she said to me afterwards, do you have that happen often where the presence of the Lord comes so heavy in the congregation that we just sit here in the holy presence of God? And I said, we do. And, and I said, and our people... I'm so thankful that they know how to respond. Because some people are very uncomfortable in that atmosphere. And sometimes they, they want to stand up and say something or shout or clap their hands. And I was so thankful that, that how we just reverenced the presence of the Lord. And he ministered to us. There are people who God is bringing, God has brought and continues to bring in our presence, not because of our numbers, but because of our honor, but because of our regard, our regard for the anointing, our regard for their legacy, our regard for the word that they preach. And God is trusting to bring them here because of our honor for him and to do things in our midst. Hallelujah. And as we continue in that same regard towards each other, we'll, we'll experience that flow from God through the body. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. How long have we been praying that, family? For brethren to dwell together in unity. You know what it is? The bond of unity? Love. The New Testament refers to love as the bond of unity. The more we esteem and regard each other, the more we're going to grow in that. And as we grow in that, hallelujah, we're maturing. 
for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body. Pastor has been saying this, and I'm going to reiterate it. This that we're focusing on right now, the maturing, it's not the jumping, shouting kind of message, but it's the growing kind of message. And it's preparation for us to move into what God is moving us into. We've got to have these things in place. We've got, to, we've got to take these things and put them into practice because they are preparations. Preparations. Faith works by love. The faith needed to believe and to receive that expansion that God has for us is connected to our love walk. We can have the great faith for it, and we do. But we need the love to power the faith. We can have a great keyboard, and we do. But if it's not plugged in, it's not helpful. Right? Praise God. We're plugging in to the power of God's love and allowing it to renew our mind. Praise God. Stand with me to your feet. What a blessing it has been to be here with you.